This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is uh, Jay Horowitz with a special edition of Amazing Mets Conversations with Bob Kendrick, the president of the uh, Negro League Baseball Museum in Kansas City. Bob, and it's the only museum dedicated to the history of African-American baseball in the world, right? In the world. Yes. But especially, so apropos this month, Bob, 76 years ago, Jackie Robinson, April 15th, 1947, broke into the to the majors. Were you, I know you started to this museum in the late 90s, and you've been a president since 11. Were you at City Field that day, April 15th, when we retired the number? I wasn't there. I got to go to City Field during the, when you guys hosted the All-Star Game. Right. And, and I'm, I'm sad to say that's the only time that I've been to City Field. You got to come. We, when you guys hosted the All-Star Game, and I got a chance to go down to the Jackie Robinson Rotunda. It's great. Jay, it gave me chills. Our previous Fred Wilpon, gigantic Brooklyn Dodger fan, had a great relationship with Rachel and the children. So, you know, that was one of the things, you know, I walked out, I still get the chills looking at it. So I've been with the Mets a long time, 44 years. Wow. And that night was probably one of the best nights ever. You know, President Clinton was here, Bud Sillig was here, got to meet Rachel. And one of the memories I want to share with you, it shows you the, 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 the reach that Jackie had. One of our younger plays, Butch Husky, uh, yes. he wrote a, from a little town in Oklahoma, he wrote a, uh, he won a Jackie Robinson scholarship by, by writing a letter what Jackie meant to him. And it was just great to see the byplay with, with Rachel and Butch. When, uh, Rachel, I want to grab his jersey for him. And Butch has it in his house. But that's, you know, that's one of the things, that, the reach that Jackie had for, Right, you can speak to that better than I can. Yeah, no, it's his his legacy is so enduring, and and a, and a lot of that Jay is due to the fact that Major League Baseball has done such a tremendous job of helping us not forget Jackie Robinson. And here at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, we certainly have a particular interest in wanting to make sure that Jackie Robinson is celebrated not only for what he did on April 15, 1947, but also the fact that his illustrious professional baseball career began right here in Kansas City with the great Kansas City Monarchs in 1945. And, and that is a fact that seemingly has eluded a lot of people. I think most folks, when they come to the museum, Jay, I think they think that Jackie just walked out of nowhere and started playing for the Brooklyn Dodgers, but his real rookie season was here in Kansas City in 1945, and he was only here for five months. And the five months that he spent in Kansas City, he fell in love with everything Kansas City is famous for, barbecue and jazz. Yeah, he liked the ribs at a place called Old Kentuck Barbecue. And Old Kentuck Barbecue became the forerunner of the great Gates barbecue chain of restaurants that are world-renowned to this day. Ollie Gates is 90 years old. He's helping me build the Buckle Deal Education 
and research center right around the corner from the museum. And, and I think he fell deeper in love with jazz because I think he was already a jazz aficionado. But as I tell people all the time, while New Orleans may lay claim to jazz, Kansas City gave jazz its soul. I love barbecue. barbecue. You know the problem with me with barbecue? I get it all for myself. I mean, <laughs> it does, it's not like eating a hamburger. Did you get to meet Jackie? Mar I mean, I know he... I never did. When he died, I believe, what, 72? You're right, 72, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I was a kid in Crawfordville, Georgia, east of Atlanta, west of Augusta, all of about 500 people. So, no, I never got to meet Jackie, but having known so many people who did get to know him, you almost feel like you know him, even though I never actually had the opportunity. Now, I have been afforded the opportunity to know Mrs. Robinson, and Sharon and David. Uh, and, and so, you know, they obviously are the extension uh, of Jackie himself, but I never got to meet Jackie. You know who became really good friends with Jackie is the great Cleon Jones. Uh, yeah. To, to the, in the 1969 season that, um, you know, Cleon and late Tommy Agee were from Mobile and oh, absolutely. was a constant visitor in our locker room that year. And, and, and Cleon is, was his role model. Cleon could have gone into football. He's an All-American high school football player. And because of what Jackie did, Jackie tilted him towards baseball. So all through that 69 season, they would come into the locker room and talk. And I never, you know, I, I never got to meet him either. I, I read that Buck Leonard was almost the first guy. Is that true or not true before Jackie? How did you think Branch, you know, the, the science, I mean, what, what a great choice it was. I mean, it was perfect for everything, but the backstory on how Branch Rickey decided to pick Jackie. Yeah, no, you're right. Buck Leonard and Josh Gibson were both playing for the Homestead Grays in the early 1940s. And Clark Griffith, who owned the Washington Senators, had tinkered with the notion of signing both of those legendary Negro League stars. And he got scared. He backed off the idea because, number one, he knew that he was going to be ostracized by the other owners. There was no question about that. And the timing just wasn't right. The timing was better for Ricky because we're coming out of World War II. And Jay, you had this very strong sentiment of the fact that you had all of these young black soldiers dying, fighting the exact same racism in another country that we were being asked to accept here at home. And that really started the sentiment of if they can die fighting for their country, why can't they play baseball in this country? And, and so that gave Branch Rickey, no pun intended, the additional ammunition to be able to go make the move to get Jackie. And he still had to outsmart the other owners. It is a, tr a tremendously interesting story on how he lands on Jackie because Jackie was not his first choice. His first choice is a guy that I'm going to probably bet that you met over some period in time in your career in baseball, the legendary Monty Irvin. I've been diehard Giant fan growing up. <laughs> Willie Mays, uh, you know, Willie Mays, Don Mueller, Johnny Inanelli. I got to know Monty when he worked in the National League. And yeah, I mean, I was, I bled orange, but my, my dad was a gigantic Willie Mays fan. So <laughs> number, number 20, right? Yes. Uniform yes. number 20. Yes. And so Monty was Branch Rickey's first choice. But Monty J had just gotten back from World War II. 
and he was suffering from what he would admit shell shock. Today, we would call it post-traumatic syndrome. But the primary reason that Monty wasn't the first was because Monty was playing for the Newark Eagles in the Negro Leagues. They were owned by a woman named Effa Manley. And Effa Manley did not like the tactics that Branch Rickey was using to try and get her player away. Rickey had actually snuck and signed Monty Irvin, but Effa Manley had threatened to litigate because Ricky did not want to pay her for a player that was under contract. I think Ricky's idea was that he could come into the Negro Leagues and essentially raid it of his star talent without any compensation to his owners. And, and Effa Manley wasn't going to have it. She was prepared to fight. So she threatened to litigate. Ricky knew that he could not afford to have this fight with this black woman over a black player, knowing that the other owners are going to stand in solidarity to try and block this. That's when he turns his sight to Kansas City and one Jackie Roosevelt Robinson, who had just joined the Kansas City Monarchs five months before. Uh -huh. They tried him out in Houston, Texas. He had written to the Monarchs owner, James Leslie Wilkinson, and asked for a tryout. They try him out in Houston, Texas. He makes the team, comes to Kansas City. And as I tell people all the time, little did J.L. Wilkinson know he had just signed the man that was going to put him out of business because five months later, Jackie Robinson was gone. <laughs> uh, one of the things I did, uh, you know, we were, uh, last year we were fortunate to get Gil Hodges into the Hall of Fame. And you know, doing some research and speaking to people, you know, one of the things that, that helped him get in, I think, was, was the essay that Vince Scully wrote about the relationship between Gil and Jackie. He told me, Vince, before he passed away, actually told me a story. They were in St. Louis one time, and he threw beer from the stand, and Gil made it a point to stand next to Jackie. So, and then, and, you know, Joe Torrey was his, was, was, was a guy who helped, you know, with, with, the, with the politics, getting with, with all the voters. But I think that story of the relationship between Gil and Jackie played a, a big part of Gil's character after 35 unsuccessful battles to get in the Hall of Fame. Well, you know, it, it, it's a, almost a bit of a shame that it took that to finally get Gil in. But if that helped, you know, it's just one more amazing thing that Vin Scully did throughout his illustrious baseball career. But, you know, in those situations, as it was when Jackie breaks the color barrier, allies were difficult to come by. So for his teammate to stand up for him and to be there with him over some of those very difficult, tumultuous episodes that were going on as Jackie was just really trying to help the Dodgers win the baseball game. And for his teammate to be there and shelter some of that, that hate and vitriol, number one, as you mentioned, speaks very highly to the character of Gil Hodges who just saw a teammate of his who was enduring some things that he didn't believe he should have yeah, to. Gil was a great man. How many, I'm sure you've seen 42 a lot of times, right? Yeah, yeah, no, I have. More than one. Do you remember the scene when you're going by train in Florida and like little young kids are running next to the oh, train? Yeah. One of those kids was Ed Charles. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, did you I mean, play the Kansas City? I mean, yes. great man. They I spoke at his funeral services. You did? I didn't realize that. Yes, I spoke at Ed's funeral services. It was a tremendous honor that his son, Ed Jr., 
asked me to speak at his father's funeral services. Yeah. And that that scene was real. I mean, that was a young Ed Charles right. in the train, dreaming of being like Jackie Robinson. It was real now. And so all of these young, aspiring African-American ballplayers knew that they had a chance, if they were good enough, to get to the major leagues because of the fact that Jackie was there. Now, let me talk a little bit about your great museum. When time I was there, one of the things that struck me, when you walk in, you have the, the 10 or 11 statues yes. of the players. I mean, that's just knocks you out when you see them. Yeah. Josh Gibson, Smokey Joe Williams, Buck Leonard, Satchel Page. How did you pick those guys out? Yeah, well, we picked a group of statues, and, and the exhibit that you are referring to is called the Field of Legends. And you're right. It's the first thing that you see when you walk into the museum because the museum is designed to replicate an old ballpark. So you walk through the turnstiles, and you peer through the chicken wire backstop, and you can see the field. And on the field are these amazing life-size statues of Negro League greats, and they're cast in position as if they were playing a game. And so that is the centerpiece of the Negro Leagues Museum. And so what you what we did, as you may recall, we built everything around the baseball diamond. And right. so what we wanted to create was this desire to get to the field, but you can't get to the field until you learn their story. It's now, great. after you learn their story, we then allow you to walk out on the field as I like to say, Jay, with 10 of the baddest brothers to ever yeah. play this game. Bob, what stat sticks out? Smokey Joe Williams, are you right? Struck at all 27 batters a game. I mean, how good was he? And George Gibson, supposedly he hit over 800 home runs in his career. Those are crazy stats. Yeah, now, Smokey Joe Williams, you know, I, I know they talk about how hard guys throw today. I don't think anyone threw any harder than Smokey Joe Williams. And, and Satchel would say the exact same thing of Smokey Joe, and everybody knows that Satchel could get it up there in a hurry as well. And, and Satchel would tell you that Smokey Joe Williams threw that thing as hard as anyone. And, and Smokey Joe was an outstanding pitcher in the Negro Leagues, is in the National Baseball Hall of Fame. And you're right, he struck out 27 Monarchs in a, in a game, in a nine-inning game. Uh, and... Uh, I mean, it was absolutely amazing. They were playing under the nightlights that the Negro Leagues had created. Now, that may have had something to do with it because it was a little hard to pick that ball up. But 27, man, went up, 27 went back down. And, and he pitched against Chet Brewer in that game. And, Jay, if I'm not mistaken, I think Chet Brewer struck out like 19 in that game. So it was quite the show that both of those legendary pitchers put on. Bob, what do I admire about your career? I mean, you don't have any current players really to deal with, and yet you come up with these great marketing things like Tip Your Hat program. You take the, the uh, exhibits on the road. I mean, no, no, I don't want to, you know, I mean, since you came in 2011, $20 million excess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how do you, you know, keep coming up with these ideas to keep the, the, the museum alive? Man, I stay up late at night. <laughs> you know, I mean, you really have no current players. I, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. You know, when I got involved with the museum way back in 1993 as a volunteer, we were in a little one-room office at that time. And I remember walking into that little one-room office for the very first time. And 
at that time, I was looking for the Negro Leagues Museum to work on a project for the museum when I was working for the Kansas City Star. And the late Don Motley was the executive director. And I knock on the door and I, t- I look up at him and I say, I'm looking for the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. He says, son, you're standing in it. Wow. In office, no bigger than your office or my office. But Jay, little did I know when I walked into that office, I had literally walked into what would become my passion. I absolutely fell in love with this story. And I fell in love with the amazing athletes who made this story. I considered myself to be a baseball fan. And man, I quickly realized I didn't know a doggone thing about the history of this game and and how closely it was attached and aligned to the history of this country. And I just wanted to learn as much as I could. I had no idea that it would turn into a career. And I think one of the most gratifying things that I could have done either personally or professionally. And so having a marketing background has aided me tremendously in my role. There's no question about that. Talk about your relationship with the Hall of Fame. I know there's a special exhibit going up in 2024, and I guess they've arranged something now that the, the, the Negro League player can be considered every three years now. So yeah. things are moving in the right direction for more acceptances and, you know, they rely on your judgment. I'm sure they do, right? Well, you know, I, you know, I have a voice and I appreciate the fact that they allow me the platform to use my voice. I'm, I'm certainly proud to be a part of the committee that they've put together as they look at expanding their Negro Leagues footprint. They're at the National Baseball Hall of Fame and uh, they've been a longtime partner of ours going way back. And Josh Rawich does an amazing job over there now. And he's been a friend of mine from his early days in baseball as well, particularly when he was over with the Arizona Diamondbacks. I'm so happy for him and the work that he's doing there. And uh, the Hall is certainly in great hands with Josh. We're thrilled that there's an ongoing relationship and partnership with the National Baseball Hall of Fame that we think is only going to grow over time. And, And so... We love having these additional voices out there promoting the history of black baseball and the history of the Negro Leagues. Because, Jay, I'm one that subscribes to the belief that I don't think there was ever a time that people didn't want to know about the Negro Leagues. They just had no way to know about the Negro Leagues. As you know, it's not in the pages of American history books. So countless generations of us went through our own formal educations without knowing one of the most significant chapters, not in baseball history, but in American history. When, when I was traveling to Mets, uh, Curtis Granchin, one day after game, said, we have a bus ride going over to Negro. Everybody should come. And we had a nice, you know, nice group of players. Do you do that with a lot of teams trying to? Yes. yes. Now, I remember Dave know, Roberts I, went over. We tried to get yes, it. Yes, well, I, I, I am thrilled, Jay, because, you know, early on, it used to be me trying to encourage the teams to bring their players to the museum. But now the word has gotten out. There's no better advocate than the player themselves who say, I came and I went to the Negro Leagues Museum and I had a great experience. And they're going back and telling others, when you come to Kansas City, you need to go by and see the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And so now the players and the teams are calling, asking to come. And so as we are recording this today, I'm awaiting the Atlanta Braves to come down for a visit of the museum. And and that is what really gets me excited because 
it's such a unique experience. And, and I think for me, no sport holds to its history the way baseball does. And if you're going to play this game, you should know the history of this game. And the Negro Leagues are an important part of the history of this game, as well as the history of this country. But you mentioned something in Curtis Granderson. Every stop that Curtis Granderson made, particularly when he was in the American League, he found his way to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum every trip into Kansas City. And he would always bring someone with him. Now that year when he comes as a member of the Mets, it was thankfully through interleague play. And I remember one of the players that was with him on that tour was David Wright. And, and I had such a great time walking around with David and the rest of the guys who came from the ball club to experience the museum. Those those moments never get old for me. No, I, I had a great time. I always, you know, I, you know, tell me about making a little progress with the stats. I mean, it was a, we went from, two, from 1920 to 1948, not all inclusive, but is that part of it heading in the right direction to accumulate? Oh, there's no question. There's no question. And, and what Major League Baseball did in 2020, December of 2020, when it formally recognized the Negro Leagues for what we already knew it to be, a major league, that was tremendously significant. So I tip my cap to Commissioner Rob Manfred for basically taking care of something that should have been taken care of long before he became commissioner. And the fact that now the stats of the Negro Leagues are going to be recognized formally by Major League Baseball is so significant on the fronts of historical validation. I tell people all the time, the players in the Negro Leagues were never seeking validation from anyone. They knew how good they were, Jay. They knew they could play. And quite frankly, the Major Leaguers knew how good they were. But still from a historical validation standpoint, this was quite significant and it has opened up the eyes, I think the minds and the hearts of a lot of baseball fans who now want to learn more about the Negro Leagues. And as you may know, just a couple of weeks ago, we released the new video game, MLB The Show 23, which for the first time includes the Negro Leagues in the video game. And man, this thing has gone absolutely bonkers. I cannot believe how excite, how much excitement around the gaming community about the inclusion of the Negro League. Now, I hope that it would be that way, but I wasn't sure if it would be. And I guess because I don't think I realize how big that digital platform is and people are just, they are so excited about the inclusion of the Negro Leagues, and so are we, and the reaction that it's generated. Bob, you plan anything special for the 15th this year, or, or you know, any at the museum, anything special? Yeah, no, I'll, you know, it's Jackie Robinson Day in the state of Missouri. We're probably the only state that this is actually legislated as a national day, as a statewide day of recognition. This was something that the museum led a number of years ago to get it official. It's not a paid holiday, but it's still a, a statewide day of recognition, April 15th. And, and I'll be at the ballpark. The Royals are at home. And so I'll be doing some Jackie Robinson Day things with the ball club. Of course, the museum is open and, and we're encouraging mm -hmm. folks to make their way by to, to visit the museum. And we're excited about that as well. And 
but Jackie Robinson Day is always an important day in, in baseball and American history. Uh, and I also think it's important that people understand that it was Kansas City and the Negro Leagues that gave America arguably its greatest hero in Jackie Robinson. Well, my hero is Willie Mays, right? And he played. Right, he played. You know, I I had to when 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 uh, I've been in the game like a long time, and I don't get flustered. But in the late nineties, uh, when Rusty Stauber was in the eighties, we were in San Francisco, and he introduced me to Willie. Oh yes, and I was like shaking. You know, he was my, <laughs> he was my idol. You know, and and yeah, he was great about Bob and our owner. Uh, Steve Cohn is a great alumni guy. So I told him a story two years ago that when Willie was traded over here from the Giants, Joan Payson had said, Willie, when you retire, we're going to retire your number. It, some re- slipped through the cracks. And then he he said, listen, we got to honor. Steve Cohn said, we got to honor the pledge of another owner. We retired the uh, the number last year, and I I cried to be honest with you. Oh yeah, no. But you know what? And people say, well, he only played with the Mets a year and a half. He blah 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 blah. blah. It was more about a year and a half. It was honoring the legend, honoring what he did for the game. And I was really proud to be a small part in helping to get to it. Really, it meant a lot to Willie. You know, it meant a lot to Willie to be recognized in two different cities. And you know what I wanted to do, Bob, this year. He retired 50 years ago, not healthy enough to travel right now. I wanted to come yeah, out, but yeah. I stay in with his touch with his son, Michael. But one of the things, I'm really glad that we got that, you know, thanks to the Cones, we got that number retired. Uh, and, and I can tell you now, all of us here at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum tip our cap to the Mets organization for recognizing Willie. Uh, obviously, he started in the Negro Leagues as a 17-year-old center fielder for the Birmingham Black Barons. And I tell people all the time, if I had told you that a kid who grew up outside of Birmingham uh, in the industrial leagues would grow to become arguably Major League Baseball's greatest all-around player without question. I think you can make a case that he is the greatest player of all time. As as you know, Willie Mays could beat you every way in which you could be beaten with his bat, with his arm, with his legs, with his glove. You know, and he did it with great style and class and, you know, and the way that you felt about meeting him for the first time was the way that I felt about meeting my childhood idol, Henry Aaron, for the first time. Uh-huh. I was the same way, man. It's yeah. the first and only time I've ever been starstruck. Yeah. And, and walking Henry Aaron through this museum remains the highlight of many tremendous highlights that I've had over my years here at the Negro Leagues Baseball. Can I tell you one quick Willie Mays story? We have, I don't want to mention his name. We had a young player. Uh, we, we introduced him to Willie Amps here in Francisco, and he said, what's your name, young man? Bob Buena Smith. What's your goal this year? He said, I want to hit 16 home runs this year. So Willie said to the kid, I used to get 16 home runs by May. And, <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't want to say, Bob, it's been a thrill talking to you. Anybody goes to Kansas City, baseball fan, non-baseball fan, your museum is a must-stop. You do great work. Keep doing what you're doing. And we got to come to the city, you know, hope we get you out of here one day. Just give me a call. Look forward to hooking up and watching the Met game with you. Yeah, no, I, I can't wait to get back to City Field and, and, and watch a game. And, you know, I don't even know how this happened, Jay. As a kid growing up in Georgia, 
I was both an Atlanta Braves fan and a New York Mets fan. So when you mentioned Cleon Jones and Tommy Agee, they were two of my favorite players. Yeah. Man. <laughs> I think what Cleon is could be eighty years old. Yes. He and his wife Angela, they're out in a community in Africa town every day, rebuilding houses, being in roofs. Talk about a guy who does God's work. I mean, and, and no doubt, what a great man. I mean, no he just keeps doing and doing and giving back. And he and Angela are two great people. And like I say, Cleon almost went to football not for Jackie Robinson. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But, Hey, I've been an honor, Bob, but thank you for your time and come and see us sometime. Okay, I'm looking forward to seeing you soon. Thanks, my friend. Good luck, huh? All right. Thanks so much for having me, man. I appreciate you. Have fun. Thank you, Bob. Bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.